Today on AM2DM, I'm interviewing actor Sepeda Moafi about the L word and the deuce, and Zach is talking about the finale of Succession. We'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Zavert, she's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM2DM. How was your weekend? It was so lovely. Yeah. Because I finally get to experience this thing that you all have been going through for years now, and that is called fall. Welcome to the East Coast. I love it. New York during the summer, meh. New York during fall, magical. It makes me, never mind, I was gonna say it makes me wanna have a man, but I talk about men too much on <laughs> It's really. And yet you said it anyway. I just said it. God, yeah. I cannot stop. It stuck me. But no, it was a wonderful weekend. I just kind of roamed around the city and took in the fact that New York is just like so incredible during the fall and so just like magical and there's so much to do. So it was really, really great. But what about you, you veteran New Yorker? What yes. did you do? Well, I have to say, uh, similar to you, I felt like I really soaked up the city. I went to the Madonna concert this weekend I and I have to say, this was my pre-concert tweet. I was a skeptic. Mm -hmm. I like wasn't about it. And I was really, really blown away by the show. It was at BAM, so it was like more of a theatrical setting. She played some of her old music. Um, the opening was James Baldwin inspired, so I, I was surprised about that. So she like kind of hooked me in yeah. from the start. And then yesterday I carved some pumpkins, oh, which is like <laughs> sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> look, look at how good person. those turned out. Mine were the one I, I carved the one that said which please. Uh, of course you and did. I also carved the little um cat one that's right next to it. Those are adorable. Okay, thank but you. But what you're not telling the people watching is that carving a pumpkin is way more work than it's worth for me. Yeah. I just the idea of like you don't do you have to you don't have to bake it. No, you can bake the seeds you, afterwards. You do not have to you bake just, like, the pumpkin. You just like cut it open, yes. gut it. It's very grotesque. Well, that's why I had uh, other pumpkin carvers assisting me and um, I made them You had laborers? Yes. Wow. I made them scoop out and do all the messy stuff and then I like drew on the pumpkin uh -huh. and carved all the so stuff. So you were the but artiste. Was, I was the artiste, but it was like <laughs> two whole hours of carving a pumpkin. I was like, uh, I'm a grown ass person there's, there's doing a, this. There's a so. martini calling my name that deserves two whole I, hours. Well, I guess what? I also drank some hard cider. Oh, so well, it was like I such would, a fall mood. I would do it then as long yeah. as I did not have to clean up. Well, let's hear yeah. from you all and take it to the timeline. How are you getting into the spooky season? Tweet us using the hashtag AM2DM. Here's a tweet from USA Gymnastics. 25 World Championships medals for Simone Biles, the most in gymnastics history. And here's a tweet from Morgan Jerkins. If Simone Biles says she's the best gymnast in the world, then she's the best gymnast in the world. There's a big difference between being cocky and simply stating a fact. Count the medals. Ooh. Okay, so this is all about how Simone Biles got her 24th and 25th medals mm -hmm. this weekend at World Championships, which makes her the most decorated gymnast ever Legendary. in history, period, the end. That's all we have There's to say about that. We have no more on this matter. We just have to decide when does Simone become the greatest, the greatest athlete of all time. Because Serena's still kicking. I know, I know. It's so, a, it's and we're a not pitting one. women against women. They're both the greatest athletes. We're not doing that, yeah. So congrats, girl. We're very proud, even though we don't know you. But you've been on the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, switching gears. Here's a tweet from the Washington Post. U.S. allied Kurds strike deal to bring Assad's troops back into Kurdish areas, dimming prospect of further U.S. presence in Syria. Here's a tweet from the New York Times. Amid the chaos that followed President Trump's order to withdraw from northern Syria, U.S. forces left behind dozens of high-value ISIS detainees. And here's one more tweet from the Times. They trusted us and we broke that trust. With the White House revoking protection for Kurdish fighters, some of the U.S. Special Forces officers who battled alongside the Kurds said that they feel deep remorse at orders to abandon their allies. Joining us now to discuss is World News Editor and Senior Reporter Hayes Brown. Good morning. Morning, guys. So tell us about this deal that the Kurds have struck with Damascus and what it means. So 
basically the Kurds realizing that Turkey has crossed the border into Syria, the United States is not going to be providing them the assistance that the Kurds assumed was going to happen in such an event, they've turned to Damascus. Uh, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, the very person who the U.S. has been trying to get out of office since the uprising first began in Syria, kicking off the whole civil war there, the Kurds have now decided to ally themselves with Assad and the Russians because the Russians have been propping up Assad during the civil war. So basically, in the span of a week, the Kurds in the northeastern part of Turkey have gone from being, you know, having control over this area inside of Syria for about seven years to telling the regime Come on in, guys. Bring the army, bring all your guns, bring the Russians with you, because Turkey's here and we as Syrians need to work to repel them back across the border. Mm. So, Hayes, walk us through the broader implications here of aligning with Damascus. So, a couple of things. On the First and foremost, it basically undoes everything that the Kurds have been working towards in terms of having their own autonomous state uh, or their own autonomous region inside of Syria now that the uh, Syrian army has moved into the area. It means that Russia has a stronger hand. It means that the U.S., the troops that we've had in Syria have been not just there to act as a uh, bulwark against ISIS's revival. They've also been there to protect, you know, the Kurds from this very thing of Turkey crossing the border, but they've also been there as leverage for any settlement of the Syria situation so that they could be at the table and say, hey, this is how we think things should be set up. Without that, it looks like Syria and Russia are just going to set the terms of what the future of Assad looks like in Syria, which again, undoes everything that the U.S. has said that it has supported in Syria since 2012. Well, on that note, um, let's talk a little bit more uh, about the ISIS detainees. Um, President Trump defended himself for leaving them behind. Um, who are they? And uh, do you have a sense of what his rationale is? Yeah, so the people that he's referring to are high-level detainees who uh, have been under the protection and under the watch of the Kurds uh, from the SDF, the Syrian Defense Forces. As the U.S. Was, been, was pulling out, they meant to be bringing with them several of the highest-level detainees who they couldn't trust uh, to be left behind without their you know, supervision. Uh, they managed to get out two members of who they call the Fab Four, British members. Uh, members of ISIS who were involved in several executions, but they didn't get everyone out. And part of that is because of the chaotic nature of the withdrawal and retreat. So Trump has said a several times at this point, well, this is going to be on Turkey. They've agreed to, you know, to watch out for these detainees. He said this morning in a tweet that some of them might escape, but they'll be easily recaptured. He said before that last week that even if they do manage to escape, they're going to Europe. So it's not a problem, which is absolutely insane to say, because it's not like ISIS is going to get to Europe and say, mm, U.S., they're all the way over there. Forget about that. <laughs> but how are the European countries responding to these statements? I feel like they have to be freaking out at this idea that, you know, terrorist groups are going to just come into their areas and take over. Yeah, they're not happy about it, especially since most of Europe, uh, so you've got Germany, France, etc., they're also members of NATO, as is Turkey. So we have a NATO ally crossing over into Syria, and all of its allies saying, what are you doing? Please get out of Syria. Please stop this right now. Uh, because Angela Merkel said, uh, spoke out against it today. They all want Turkey to end this incursion, because, especially since they're not just Turkey that's across the border. They're also allied with Syrian Arab rebels who they've been backing since the rebellion started. But they have ties to al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups. So it's all a mess right now. As And also... 
let's not forget the fact that as they are pushing further south into Syria than people anticipated, they're committing atrocities. They are slaughtering the Kurds who are still holding up their defenses. So it's just a mess all around. Um, One of the things this weekend that I was uh, really riveted by were the accounts from U.S. troops that I saw popping up on Twitter um, that reporters were relaying. Um, So what are some of the stories that we are hearing from our own troops about how they're feeling about abandoning the Kurds? Uh, bad. They're feeling like they're really betraying people who have stuck their necks out for them hard in order to be the front line against ISIS in this fight. Because, you know, you, the U.S., we had someone actually described it uh, over the weekend as basically fulfilling the role of U.N. peacekeepers in a way. Like, they weren't really going out and ha- holding missions. They were there as a buffer against Turkey. They were there to tr- provide support and training. And U.S. aircraft was there to provide air support. But in the process, a lot of the people stationed there and a lot of people who were also working with Kurds, Iraqi Kurds, during uh, the fight against ISIS, they came to really like trust and respect the Kurdish fighters because the Kurds have, all, aside from being really you know open to working with the U.S., they've been really open to media. They've been good about getting their story out there. So a lot of these people are who are still in Syria and who, are, who have recently left feel like. There's no reason, there's no justification for us leaving them in the lurch like this. There was no, there's no justification because people are still in Syria. We're not saving any money. Turkey, uh, we're not getting anything from Turkey out of this. There's no rationale for the United States to have done this where we benefit from it in any way. It's When you look at it from that angle, like what did the U.S. get from this? The answer is nothing. Mm. Mm. Well, Hayes, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. All right, well, here's a tweet from NPR. A white police officer fired through the window of a black woman's home and killed her after responding to a neighbor's call over an open front door, authorities in Fort Worth, Texas say. Inside, a Tatiana Jefferson and her nephew were playing video games. Here's a tweet from Roxanne Gay. A Tatiana Jefferson was in her home playing video games when she was murdered by a police officer who took only four seconds to shoot an unarmed and innocent 28-year-old woman. May she rest in power. May we never forget her name. May we rage in her memory. Yesterday, hundreds of people joined a vigil for Jefferson outside of her family's home. Kaylee Johnson, a reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, was there and joins us now. Good morning. 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 Thank you for being here. So, Kaylee, tell us about last night. How were folks responding at the vigil to her death? Right. So last night, there were several hundred people outside of the family home where Tatiana Jefferson was shot. There was a lot of emotion in the crowd. Um, You know, as speakers were talking about what happened and how, you know, they need justice in this situation. There were people in the crowd who were shouting and um, people who were crying. There was there was a lot of emotion in the crowd last night. Can you walk us through the timeline of uh, how everything transpired this weekend? Right. So based on what Fort Worth police and the family's attorney have said so far, what we know is at 2.23 a.m. on Saturday morning, a neighbor called um, the non-emergency number for police and said he was concerned because his neighbor's doors were open and the lights were on. He said this was unusual for them. And he doesn't At 2.25, two officers went to the house. Police confirmed that they didn't park in front of the house. They parked around the corner. They did not announce themselves or identify themselves. And body camera footage showed that they went into the backyard. 
at about 2.29, an officer saw a Tatiana Jefferson through the window. The family attorney said she had been playing video games with her nephew. They heard noises in the backyard, and she went to the window to see what was going on. And at that moment, the officer fired through the window and shot and killed her. Mm -hmm. So tell us, how are the city's elected officials responding to this, like the mayor? You know, Texas just went through this the other day, so there has to be a lot of pressure being felt there. Right. So Betsy Price, the mayor, she actually went to the vigil last night. She said she was there to listen, not to speak. Um, and she she said that the city is working with a third party to independently review the Fort Worth Police Department and their policy for de-escalation when she was at the vigil last night, like I said, it was a, it was an emotional crowd. There were a lot of people there. She left pretty quickly. Some of the people who were at the vigil started chanting, lock him up, referring to the police officer who shot Jefferson. And, and she left pretty quickly. Um, the councilwoman for that district, Kelly Allen Gray, she spoke with me as well. She said that she's talking to community members and a lot of them feel like police, you you know, this is something that we've seen across the country, that police treat people of color and communities of color unfairly, and that they are unjustly policed. She said that's something that, um, you know, she's talked to her constituents about, and and they do feel this way. And they want reform in the police department. They, They want change to happen. Well, speaking of the police department, there was a a press conference, and something that struck me is that uh, they confirmed that the officer who uh, killed Jefferson did not announce himself when he arrived um, at her family's home. Um, What else did uh, the police officers have to say at that conference? Right, so there was a press conference yesterday. There actually is one today as well, around 1 p.m. They just came out and announced that. Yesterday's press conference, police said they weren't able to tell anybody very much at this point because it's still being investigated. But there were a couple of things that they did say. They said they confirmed the police officer did not identify himself, did not announce himself. And they said that they are investigating why that would be. They also confirmed, unfortunately, that the eight-year-old nephew was in the room when a Tatiana Jefferson was shot. Um, and they also confirmed that the officer is scheduled to be interviewed by the major case squad this morning. Well, we will certainly uh, keep an eye on the story and continue to cover it. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, up next, Alex is reading Fire Treats with transparent actor Shakina Nafak. Welcome back. It's time for Fire Tweets, and today I'm joined by Shakina Nafak, who played Lola on Difficult People and Ava on Transparent Musical Finale. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. I know. I'm so happy to see you. It's really fun. Yeah. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Yeah, we met when I was just starting my gender transition, right? Yeah. I was crowdfunding yeah. it, and we talked about it back then. That was like five and a half years ago. I can't believe Crazy. it. see. Full where, circles. Where, where did the time go? And here we are about to read some Fire Here we are. Fire Tweets. Yeah, so Ready for it. I'll go first, and okay. then basically just, just follow as I do. Great. Okay? I'm on Mary, you tweeted, please present the signed permission slip from your therapist before approaching me <laughs> romantically. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm my own particular type of crazy, but my boyfriend's <laughs> down with it. But yeah, communicating yourself up front 
always the way to go, I, I, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I guess it would be nice if everybody came with their own little like permission slip of here are my issues. Right, just like let's get the trauma out of the way up front. No surprises. Yeah. I think it's a lot better. There you go. All right, so Natalie, you tweeted a hidden now. Yep. One of the funniest moments on Difficult People was when Lola, oh, that's me, was supposed to be helping a choking woman, but was freaking out and said, I'm not good in a crisis, even though she loves reciting conspiracy theories about government as truth. Wow, that was a really fun scene to film. Um, I had to do the Heimlich maneuver on that actress like 17 times, almost throughout my back. Um, oh my but goodness. yeah, what's crazy is that I'm like actually kind of a conspiracy theorist. You are. Like I'm, I know I, I played a trans truther on television, <laughs> but I'm actually a trans truther in, in, in real life. You were, you were yeah, totally. To really Bush did 9/11. I'm like in it to win it on oh that one. Oh my god. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I mean, people really love this character because she seemed to break the mold of like the conventional she trans did. narrative. That Thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, she wasn't like going through an identity crisis or like seeking acceptance from her parents or worried about transitioning or coming out. She was just like a witty bitch, you there know? You so yeah, I loved her for that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun. All right, I'm gonna do the next one. Sasha, you tweeted, former theater kid culture is smelling a certain hairspray and getting whiplash from the violent flashbacks to a specific dressing room and specific show. Oh my God. For me, it's absolutely Aquanet and Rocky Horror Picture really? Show. As like, oh, as an okay, attendee, that, yeah. not in it. I was never in Rocky Horror Picture Show, believe it or not. But um, when I smell Aquanet, I just think of like all the times. I used to like shoplift eyeliner and fishnets <laughs> because I couldn't like, I couldn't go buy them. Yeah, yeah. So I would like go steal my makeup and then go out to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, that, that, That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that was the way to do it, but don't steal. Stealing is wrong. <laughs> All right, tweet of the day. We're both going to push the button at the same time, but okay. you're going to read it, okay? okay? One, two, three. Okay. Oh, it's mine. Yes. It's mine. Yes. It's a tweet from me. Yeah. Okay. Pro tip. If you intend to cast trans people in your musical, you better be prepared to work with, learn about, and listen to trans voices. I mean, I said it. There and I mean it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, in musical theater, like the, people write in certain vocal ranges and um, especially for folks who like transition later in life, who might have like gone through one type of puberty or not, it affects our voices. Mm. And then you can't necessarily expect us to be singing in the ranges that like mm. cis people sing in. Mm. So yeah, it's important to be adaptable. Well, you also created a, a theater group um, for underrepresented groups, right? Do you yeah. think that musical theater is getting more inclusive? Is it getting better at including marginalized voices? I think so. I mean, listen, it's it's a step-by-step -step game, but at Musical Theater Factory, we're like working with early career creators. So we're like creating the foundation for a whole new generation of musical theater that will mm. tell stories from underrepresented communities and put underrepresented people right center on stage. Well, talk about putting underrepresented people right in the center on stage. You were uh, Ava in the transparent um, musical finale. Yeah, musical finale. Musical finale. Um, so uh, how has the show Transparent impacted you? I mean, both being a, a part of the finale and, and just, I guess, because of its visibility. Yeah, you know, hmm. It's it's like complicated because you know mm. the show had had a, its fair amount of scandal toward of the end, um, and uh, but I loved the show artistically and was always conflicted about the fact that there was this cis guy playing a trans role and we got yeah. to kind of remedy that in the finale which was really amazing. Also, I credit Transparent with like kicking down the door for trans representation on television. So my role on Difficult People and what we see in Pose and like I feel like. They did it first and made way for all of us. And it's so it's so nice that we got to bring it back home with this finale. 
And you also wrote and produced the finale. So what was it like to do triple duty? Um, it was really cool. Is what yeah. It was like, yeah, I started as an actress. And then um, I, I, when we were working together, I asked if I could join the writer's room and they brought me in. And then I asked Jill after we were a couple weeks in if I could help produce. And that happened. I also got to shadow Jill Soloway um, as a director too. So I literally got to do everything. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. It was like a master class in, in TV filmmaking. Yeah, it was very cool. Well, the, mu- the music from the show was also workshop at, uh, at your musical theater factory it was um, how, how did you like talk me like go back for a second how did yeah. you initially connect um with jill soloway and their sibling faith yeah so it started i was performing at a gala that was honoring the Sol- the soloways and faith heard me sing and came up and was like oh we're gonna make transparent a musical and i was like sure you are <laughs> you know because like <laughs> yeah, everyone's okay. making something a yeah, musical right. in new yeah. york city all the time so uh but then i did this concert at joe's pub with a few of the other actors that you see in the movie actually um, and then when it came time to do a little more work and figure out like what the finale was going to be, I invited them to come to Musical Theater Factory and we got together for a week with the original cast um, and some Broadway actors that you see in the movie and started discovering what the story was. Mm. And then that's that's how I kind of was like, well, now that you know what I do, you're like <laughs> you have me on full force. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You've, you you mentioned uh, Joe's Pub. You've performed a couple of different shows Yeah, at Joe's everything Pub, right? I've done, I've premiered at Joe's everything Pub. Everything you have. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them was called Manifest Pussy, which opened yes. with a song called BNP, which is short for Brand New Pussy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as you mentioned, I interviewed you a while back um, about uh, crowdsourcing crowdfunding uh, your own gender confirmation surgery. Yeah. Why has it been so important to you to continue to talk openly about this? You know, it's for me, it's important because I think demystification is like part of education and part of making people feel comfortable with things. And um, I've just sort of, my calling has been to be really open about what my experience is and including getting into like the graphic medical details because people are curious. And um, while you shouldn't be going around asking everyone about their genitals and how they got them, for me, it's a great way to kind of say like, this is my like story of how I came to be who I am. And um, if I can help like answer your questions about a search for self, like then you can go off on your own search, you know, whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. So what is next for you? Well, um, I'm doing Manifest Pussy again, uh, which I'm really excited about, <clears throat> calling it the Revival Tour, uh, starting in Los Angeles on the um, 28th of October and the 4th of November at Rockwell. Okay. Um, yeah, two Monday nights. And then I'll be back here at Joe's Pub in New York City on November 9th. Um, and I'm actually trying to uh, put together a national tour Oh, next amazing. year, I want to go. Right. I want to go to the red states oh, yeah. and uh, take Manifest Pussy out there, and um, you know, entertain the people who need my kind of voice in their life. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, listen, I'll mark off my calendar for that. Uh, awesome. New York yeah, so, please yeah, be there. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. For sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Buzzfeed. All seasons of Transparent and Transparent Musical Finale are out now on Amazon Video. More AM to DM is up next. Here's a tweet from Michael Schmidt. New, a video showed the president as a mass shooter executing members of the media and his political opponents in a church. It was played at a pro-Trump conference at the Trump Resort in Miami last week. Here's a tweet from presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke. At a conference of Trump supporters, they played a video of our president murdering journalists in a church. Last year, a Trump supporter sent bombs to CNN and a shooter entered a church yesterday. This video isn't funny. It'll get people killed. And here's a tweet from the volatile mermaid. The people who were worried about Barron seeing Kathy Griffin holding a fake severed head that looks sort of like his father are okay with him seeing his actual father's face superimposed on a gunman mass murdering people in a church. Whew. Yeah. 
That's so, a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So that was actually one of the first things I thought about was um, just how Kathy Griffin was really mm-hmm. roundly uh, criticized mm-hmm. by pretty much everybody um, Every- over her, the photos that she took with the Trump mask. She even came on our, fo- our show mm-hmm. to talk about how it really basically destroyed her life for a time, um, the reaction. And then when I was seeing this, I was like, so everybody who was really mad at her for that, y'all are going to be mad at this too, right? Sure. Like, You would think if we all were logical people, but they're not going to be. And they're not so far this morning. You know, people are just kind of laughing at this, um, who are on the right, who are more conservative, saying it's just a joke. You know, these things are jokes. He he didn't even make it himself. It's not his fault. And yeah, sure, President Trump didn't make it himself, but his vitriol and his language he's used has inspired people to consider that this is an okay thing to create for the internet that you should not have any repercussions for. And I, for me, you know, this crosses the line of freedom of speech. Like This is definitely inciting violence against people like us, who are real people that go out into the world every day with our families and just want to tell the truth. Right. Like, I think one of the reasons why, as a journalist, this was so upsetting to see is not because it's, like, happening in a vacuum and someone's just making a funny video. It's because, like, not that long ago, uh, someone was sending explosive devices to Mm -hmm. a number of different media outlets. Yeah. And that was scary. Um, Or, you know, we see, from time to time, I'll see a tweet of someone who, like, spots someone wearing a T-shirt that Mm -hmm. says, like, you know, hang a journalist. Uh, Stuff like that. Like, we've seen such rhetoric uh, from the president that has uh, encouraged Mm -hmm. attacks um, on journalists. So, uh, and and for some reason, people like to forget that, like, news outlets are made up of people people. for some reason. Like, the press isn't this, like, nebulous— now, idea or mm-hmm. something. It's, it's people who make these operations. Exactly. And you and I, we, we've known each other for a bit, and we both have experienced a lot of hate even before Trump. You know, we mm-hmm. both are from minority backgrounds across different vectors and sectors of life. And, you know, we've been dealing with this for a while, but then Trump got into office and it's become at many times unbearable. You know, I remember before he was elected, the KKK threatening me mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, President Barack Obama was in office. So that, you know, I thought that was the bottom, but I never imagined we live in a world where it was like, oh, whatever. The president, there's a video of the president being superimposed killing the very outlets and people in which we work with every day. And I think people need to take these things very serious because we do know how the internet works. It does inspire people to act Mm -hmm. on images, and images have a lot of power, and representation, good and bad, matters. Um, And this matters in a really, really bad way for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it's not fun, and I I don't think people realize just what it's like to also get uh, harassment online. Like, even though it can just be relegated to your Twitter account, um, it can really be be a lot. So. Yeah, so much. we're going to take a, a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. and switch gears a little bit because up next, Zach is chatting with the author of Queer Heroes, Arabelle Sicardian. Welcome back. Here with me now to talk about their new book, Queer Heroes, is Arabelle Sicardi. Hello. Hi. Thank you for being here. Of course. Your book has been sitting on our desks, and it is a beautiful book. So thank you for creating oh. it for us queer folk out there. Thank you. Well, I think the illustrator, Sarah, did an amazing job. Wonderful. And we're going to talk about their work, too, in a second, how they designed everything. But first up, I'd love to hear, where did you get the idea and what moves you to create a book about queer heroes? Well, the honest answer is that I was approached to do it by the publisher, but then I realized that it's exactly what I wanted to be able to write during right after the election. Mm -hmm. And being able to create like a compendium of people like me and people in my community that are surviving, and not just surviving, mm-hmm. but thriving, yeah. that made such a difference for my own mental health. Mm-hmm. And it it just healed me over the past like year or two. That's amazing to hear. Because, you know, we as queer folk don't have these examples when we were younger. You know, yeah. we were more, much more coded. Like, you'd hear about folks and be like, I think they're queer. Like, is Amelia Earhart queer? Yeah, they have roommates <laughs> yeah, the rest room- of their lives. <laughs> All this language. Yeah. So, you know, take me back. What would it have been like for you to have a book like this for you as a young queer person? 
I would have been way more obnoxious way sooner, <laughs> um, which would have been really fun. But I got to actually write biographies of the people that I found really young in life, like mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde. I wish I could have written about Mulan because total queer icon also. Mm-hmm. But learning about people from all around the world that were queer that mm-hmm. I didn't even know about doing the research, it was really fun and it was an honor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And walk me through the, the kind of the methodology of choosing a hero. You know, we have the book behind us and it's a beautiful illustration by Sarah Tanat Jones. Um, and I flipped through and these are like some of the stunning, most stunning portraits I've seen of these folks who I love dearly mm-hmm. and I consider a hero, but what were you considering a hero when approaching history? Well, if they were the first of anything, Mm -hmm. if they obviously won like a Nobel, then Mm -hmm. yeah, they're going to be on the list. But it was actually a team effort with people all around the world, the editors from all different um, markets, basically. And we were trying to determine equal representation Mm -hmm. in France, in in like China, in America, and make sure that it wasn't too U.S. centric. Because we wanted to make sure that children all around the world had someone that they could recognize. Mm-hmm. So that mattered more to me. And it was a couple of weeks of just arguing and we went back and forth on a couple of people. Obviously there is not infinite amount of no. pages. So we had to leave people out, but hopefully um, there's gonna be other ones. And there's plenty of queer heroes every single day. Mm-hmm. So there should only be more editions yeah. and volumes. Of keep, you'll keep keep you in job and working forever and ever. Mm, I keep hope adding. So. Yeah. <laughs> so something I was thinking about as I read this book was that you know queer heroes are heroic and iconic and all these incredible things, but they're not perfect. You know, people mm-hmm. are flawed. How did you balance the complicated history some of these people have? I was thinking a lot about Martina Navratilova, who recently had some anti-trans remarks, um, but has been so incredibly important for queer folks in the sports. So how are you balancing that? I didn't want to cancel everyone Mm -hmm. for um, recent or old remarks because I want to believe that people can change. But, you know, if they had a history of of saying Mm -hmm. anti-trans remarks, then I didn't really want to write about them. And there were people that I left out specifically for that reason that um, will become obvious. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to make sure that the people that were reading the book had room to ask questions. Mm. And that's why there is a glossary at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And in the introduction, I'm like, these are complicated people. They didn't make all of the choices I would have. Mm -hmm. But in the context of their lives, they did the best that they could to the point where they changed the world. Mm. And that should be celebrated, even if they're not perfect human beings. Like, I mean, some of the people in the books, yes, they're huge capitalists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Someone that owns a tech company, Uh -uh, Apple. (laughs) (laughs) So you can have your own opinions about that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that children and their parents could have a conversation about like, mm-hmm. what does colonialism mean? Mm-hmm. What, what does it mean to be in the army? What does it mean to own a huge company? What is that responsibility like? Yeah. What do queer people do to do better in that position? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love it. A nuanced conversation in 2019. Crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> so, you know, recently a lot of states are now passing laws that say you have to have LGBTQ education in their schools. Illinois, a former state I lived in, is doing that. What do you think that education should look like in schools? Well, I don't feel like I'm equipped for this because I have taught exactly zero days okay. of my life. <laughs> but for me... I really benefited from having teachers that would help me find resources Mm -hmm. and would really challenge my own perceptions of what 
queer identity had to look like mm-hmm. when I was discovering that language myself in school. And also having uh, teachers and assistants in the school that were like, if you feel unsafe at home, then we will be your home mm-hmm. and we will find new communities for you, mm-hmm. with you. And you can always ask us for help. And going that extra step and making sure that the teachers are educated and have enough resources Mm -hmm. to do the work that they want to do and find most important, that makes a huge difference. Mm. Amen. Preach, preach, Mm -hmm. preach, preach. Well, before I let you go, I need some help on understanding who are some queer heroes that are emerging today that you didn't get to in the book. So are there any folks that you're seeing doing incredible work that you think could be in the next iteration of this? I mean, I feel like all of the climate activists right now Amen. Yes. are really going to save our butts. Mm-hmm. And I hope it's, so. Even so many are queer. Yeah. And even if they aren't out or mm-hmm. they don't say and they don't have, let's say, a rainbow flag, mm-hmm. you can recognize your own community. Amen. And I'm just like, I'm just going to nod at you. Like the lesbian <laughs> nod is completely real. And I will wait and celebrate when they want to come out. I love that. I love that we are still like, you know, nodding to each other as queer folks, even during the apocalypse. Like the world is ending. We're like, I see you, girl, saving the world. Let's all dance in the fires. It's fine. (laughs) That is the queer future, dancing in the fires. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been lovely chatting. And congratulations on such a great, great, great book. Thank Um, you. Well, Queer Heroes is available in bookstores now. But up next, Alex talks to one of the stars of The Deuce. Today we have a special guest joining us. When she's not performing on stage, you can catch her in shows like Falling Water, The Deuce, and soon The L Word, Generation Q. Please welcome Sepide Moafi. Hello. Hi. I am so excited to talk to you because I'm a, a huge L Word stan. I feel like Yay. like just about everyone. And the new series is actually currently in production. Um, what can you tell me about where it picks up? Sure, it picks up 10 years after the last series ended and um, three of our main characters are back. Jennifer Beals, Catherine Menning, and Leisha Haley. And we've got a new cast of, of several, five of the staple casts, um, one of which I'm included. And um, yeah, a lot more drama. <laughs> a lot and more drama, lot as, more one, as one would expect, and sex, as yeah. one would expect. Yeah. Um, who is your character? I play a real estate agent named Gigi. She's Iranian, and no shocker here, she's also gay. And um, she is uh, kind of dealing with a complicated divorce. Okay. And so she has two kids with her ex-wife, and they're managing that whole situation. And Interesting. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned lots of sex and drama, which makes me think that everybody's kind of up to their uh, old ways. And so what has it been like? To- <laughs> we never change. Yeah, never. Ways. Exactly. Nothing exactly. changes. Um, so what is it like to join a show that had been so iconic with uh, this core cast that had previously worked together? Yeah. I mean, I was a fan of the original show, so it was an honor to jump on board. But the three returning cast members were so welcoming. Um, Jennifer and Leisha. I work closely with Leisha a lot. Um, my character does. And um, Kate and all of them are just so warm and welcoming. In particular, Jennifer. She's just such a love and so inclusive. And it didn't feel like a separate. It just mm. felt like it was just a continuation. And and it just keeps sprouting. You know, mm. the story keeps kind of growing and sprouting. Well, in that continuation, it seems like there is a real eye for different kinds of diversity mm, um, sure. this time around. Um, how is that significant, just especially in the media landscape that we're in? 
Well, I think it's about time that we have stories including and reflecting the world that we live in. I think we're lucky because we live in in New York and the show's in L.A. and I also live in L.A. Um, and this is just when you walk down the street, these are the people that you see. This is the world that we see around us. And so it's about time that Hollywood kind of caught on board and and um, included, I mean, this is just the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. So. Um, well, you also star in the last season of The Deuce. Yeah. Um, and you play, and we're in the last season, I should say. Yes. You play Loretta, who has evolved from a sex uh, worker to an activist. Yeah. What are you excited for us to see this season? Um, well, this season kind of wraps all these storylines together and wraps them up. And um, there are a lot of things. I don't want to spoil too much, but it's been a privilege to work on and play Loretta um, because her journey, again, as you said, she was started out as a sex worker. And in the second season, she's starting to get off the streets. And this season, she's managing, or or, sorry, she's um, the head bartender at the Hi-Hat Bar, and she's doing activist work on the side. And and it's really empowering to see um, a character like her who's come from such adversity and such hardship and paved her way and become a success in a lot of ways and a true feminist. Mm. What will you miss the most about playing her? Um, Her grit, her wisdom, her street smarts. um, And I'll miss about the show just the cast and and the creators, people who are so devoted to uh, art and the process of art making and um, with such attention to detail it's, yeah, it's a real privilege. Mm. Well, you mentioned some of the other folks involved in the show. Maggie Gyllenhaal, of course, is both yeah. a producer um, and a star of the show. And I read that she has had uh, conversations um, a, a lot about uh, the conduct in Hollywood, men's conduct in Hollywood in particular. Sure. Um, how have, have those conversations um, been reflected on set and uh, sure. just in the way that especially women, um, you know, uh, have been treated on set? I know there's an intimacy coordinator. Yeah, and, The yeah. Deuce was the first show that, kind of brought in the intimacy coordinator and and now HBO and Showtime and ABC, they hire intimacy coordinators for all of their shows. And, and that's thanks to The Deuce and in large part to Emily Mead, who plays Laurie on The Deuce. Um, we all had a, a big get together at Maggie's house, actually. And uh, before the second season, and this was when all the drama of Me Too was surfacing. And uh, we talked about our experiences, not just on the show, but in our careers and our lives with you know, the misogynistic culture and, mm-hmm. and with sexism. And, um, and we, we talked about addressing those, those problems uh, in our workspace. And, and um, I feel like people were more empowered to speak up and speak out after the Me Too movement. And that was definitely reflected in our show and on our set. Mm. Now, outside of your uh, acting work, I also learned that you were actually born in a refugee camp That's and right. that now you're doing some advocacy work uh, around that. So tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. I work closely with the International Rescue Committee, which is a leading refugee resettlement organization in the United States, but they're global. They're one of the leading um, agencies in the world who respond to the world's worst humanitarian crises. So I have the privilege of working closely with them, as well as the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs, who deal with um, immigrant affairs and and fighting and advocating for immigrants in New York. And I'm organizing a fundraiser for both of them uh, that will be on November 17th here in New York at the Cutting Room. 
and it's just a celebra- celebration and um, we're hoping to, you know, humanize these people mm. who are often stigmatized and it's just so disturbing what we learn and what we know of these countries and these cultures and and so we want to have kind of a party and, and celebrate these courageous human beings. Mm. Well, that's wonderful. I know that you are very busy, so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And you can catch Deputa on The Deuce tonight at 9 p.m. on HBO and in the L Word Generation Q premiering in December on Showtime. Up next, Zach is talking about the succession finale. Here's a tweet from ringer writer Allison Herman. Guys, what are we going to tweet about when succession isn't on? And that is a fantastic question today. But today we got everything you need to know. And joining me now to talk about the succession season two finale is Meredith Haggerty, deputy editor of The Goods. Thank you for being here after such a late night of yes. watching the best TV drama. Oh my God, I, I was up. I couldn't sleep. It was like, incredible. It was so good. So we are going to have some spoilers here. So everyone buckle up or impress me. What Do what you need to do. But we are going to get into the tea today. So first up. Did you see the Kendall pick coming before the episode last night? I, I mean, I don't want to brag, but yes, I did. <laughs> I, like, I'm brilliant. Yeah, I understood. I know what a blood sacrifice is. Yeah. Uh, I'm familiar with the idea. Yeah, I mean, it kind of had to be him, it felt like to me. So oh, I wasn't well, talk, walk me through surprised. that. Okay, so the end of the second to last episode, mm-hmm. you, got, you got Logan, you got Shiv. They're looking at Kendall. They're mm-hmm. saying blood sacrifice. Like, it just, it oh. felt like it was all leading, leading up to that to me. So I wasn't super surprised. He was like... Easily the best pick. He was mm-hmm. across everything, as yep. Logan kept saying, which is just the strangest business language. Yeah. Uh, it was like he's going to be across, uh, you know, the bow of a ship. And uh-huh. just, I, he's going to rip into shreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I knew it was going to be Kendall, I feel like, but I certainly didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. And before we get to the next, were there other people that you thought could maybe be second runners coming? Um, I mean, I was personally terrified that it would be Jerry. I okay. care very deeply about what happens to Jerry. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was scared it was going to be her. But I, it could have been Tom. It could have been Tom with the Greg Sprinkles. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, then you get a little bit of family, a little bit of kind of family mm-hmm. in there. But at the end of the day, it had to be a Roy, yeah. I think, for the drama to be really yeah, yeah, yeah. what it was. And uh, yeah, it just it had to be Kendall. Okay. Well, so we already talked about Kendall was the choice. But did you think Kendall was going to stab his dad in the back like that? Because that was just stunning. I mean, I'm... I'm kind of proud of him, just like Logan is. Yeah, like we're both, yeah, yeah. get it. Um, I mean, I think, okay, so I think there's a couple of moments in the episode where you could think that um, this is when Kendall decided he was going to really throw his dad over. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I mean, like, sure, it was when Logan said that he wasn't really a killer, but I think it was when Logan said that there was no real person involved uh, with the waiter's drowning death that mm. Kendall witnessed. And I think that for him maybe, yeah. uh, was the final nail in the coffin. I mean, that was dark. It was so dark. Dark, dark, dark. Well, dark. do you think Logan Roy saw this coming? Because at the end, we see a shot of him smiling out of pride, but he's also a brilliant person. Did you see, do you think he even saw this as a possibility? I, I mean, I've seen tweets to that effect, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's crazy, certainly. The yeah. show could be doing anything. But, I, I mean, I'm not really sure what the plan is mm-hmm. uh, for this. Uh, so I don't, I don't think he really expected. I think he did ultimately think that Ken didn't have the killer in him. Okay. But I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know what's going on in Logan Roy's head. Like yeah. if I thought like Logan Roy, things would be very different for me personally. So. You, <laughs> wouldn't it be for all of us? Yes. <laughs> well, you do a weekly recap with mm-hmm. Emily of Vanderwerf, uh, mm-hmm. where you pick winners and losers every week mm-hmm. for the whole season. Who do you think the winner was and the loser was? Gosh, I mean that's a great question. It's. Uh, because up until the last moment, uh, it was just, uh, it was very unclear. Mm-hmm. Although I think, so I sort of think that the ultimate winner, in a weird way, was Roman, because we are 
almost definitely heading into a Roman season. Yes. First season was Kendall season, second season Shiv season. We're going into the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. which I'm very excited about. Um, he ended up as COO. Mm-hmm. He got the kiss from daddy. Yep. Uh, you know, he got everything. So I kind of think uh, Roman actually sort of won the season when we see Shiv, like, laid pretty low, mm-hmm. begging for her bad husband's mm-hmm. job. It was a uh, low moment. It was a, it was a little embarrassing s- for It was for super embarrassing. Yeah. And as you said, the season was so much about Shiv and her mm-hmm. character. And the big question was, is she going to be Logan's successor? Mm-hmm. Where do you think she stands in that? I, I kind of think she doesn't have a chance. What Logan was dangling in front of her in the last episode wasn't even successor anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a very senior person. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't even offering her anything. Yeah. Uh, which is just for the woman who was about to be CEO and who, if Logan had just named her CEO at the Pierce dinner, none of this would have happened, mm-hmm. as Emily, my colleague, pointed out. Uh, yeah, like, I think she's just kind of out of the running. Uh. Poor dear, poor dear. She fought so hard. She tried. Someone that you brought up that is kind of a crowd favorite right now is, um, oh my God, I just blanked on her name, (laughs) Jerry. I want to call her Cheryl. (laughs) Jerry, the fabulous Jerry, is now the favorite character, or sub-character of this season. Mm -hmm. Cousin Greg was last season's. Mm -hmm. uh, Famously, Nicholas Braun was on the show recently. Uh, Why do you think Jerry kind of became that for all of us? I mean, the Jerry-Roman dynamic, or as I like to call it, German, uh, <laughs> like, was just so uh, delightful. and de- Like, uh-huh. I, I don't want to say delicious that way, but that's what I'm saying. I'm sorry I apologize. <laughs> like, that's what it was. Uh, they just, like, the two of them, their chemistry. Jay Smith Cameron, who plays, um, who plays Jerry, is mm-hmm. just, like, so funny mm-hmm. and, uh, like, Stolid, sort of like just, she is the filing cabinet that yep. Roman described her as the rock star and the mole woman. Like that's a good dynamic. Ooh. People like it. Tea. and their scenes together were uh, juicy and not ready for morning television. Sadly, I, I watched some of them a couple of times. I'm not ashamed <laughs> to say it. Like. Which makes sense because people love these scenes because they're so memeable. You get memes or gifs out of them and all these other types of internet content. And why do you think that is for the show? Because it began very slow and then became the joke of the internet. I mean, one thing I didn't realize until I started recapping the show, um, I knew it because I was watching it, but every line is so incredibly smart and funny that it's Mm -hmm. easy to just like take that screen grab have the line at the bottom, and you've you've done a joke on the yeah. internet without having to make a joke at all. I mean, it's just like, it's so sharp. Every line, every scene, every look, like, the actors are so deeply inhabiting their characters, mm-hmm. like a Jeremy Strong, who I'm honestly worried for his nervous system, playing Kendall. <laughs> I mean, they just, like, they, they're living in these bodies, and they're, they're doing an amazing job, so they, I think that's they, what it is. They really are. And that brings us to the very final point of today, is that we are going to a season three now, and we don't know what that's going to happen. What do you predict to see next season? Who do you think? You think it's going to be a Kendall season? I think it's going to be a Roman season. Roman season? Yes. Okay. I mean, does that mean season four will be a Connor season? I don't know what happens with that. But I think it's going to be the Roman season. Uh, I mean, he's... He also, at the end of this episode, um, has almost started to display human empathy, which mm-hmm. was not our dear Romulus's thing at all. Yeah. He, he's worried about Kendall. He, he's clearly cowed by this uh, kidnapping experience that he just like got at. Like last, the second to last episode, they ended on a cliffhanger, and then it's just like, and Roman's done. Like, yeah. don't worry, he's, he was he's, captive, yeah. and like yeah. literally, a, and yes, so that was the bizarre <laughs> that he just somehow was freed from dictators. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, but he had the um, after leaving that experience, experience and going through all that, he had the foresight and the courage to tell Logan that uh, this wasn't a good deal, which mm-hmm. is like 
not very Roman behavior. Yeah. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what he's like going into season mm. three. Well, we can't wait. We got at least a year to wait for that. Ooh. But during that interim, thank you so much for being thank here you. with us. And maybe we'll find new ways to talk about succession now that it's gone. I won't stop. Uh, okay, I'm going to pray for you on that one. Well, we want to hear from you also. Let's take it to the timeline. What do you want to see in succession season three? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm But up next, there's more am to dm so stick around. Welcome back. You know, I really want to get into succession now. You I'm should. A single episode. I, so it was a slow burn for me. What triggered it was interviewing Mr. Braun, uh, Cres and Greg on the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I jumped right. in later. And it does okay. start off really slow, but then once you get into it, you get into it. And as folks that work in media, this is a media family, you know, mod- modeled after the, uh, I'm not even going to say because I don't know that history. Modeled after a lot of famous people in media, and you will be able to get a lot of the drama that we deal with personally in our day-to-day lives. (laughs) Noted. I'm going to check it out. Well, earlier in the show, we were talking about uh, how we're celebrating spooky season, a.k.a. the fall and October. And I tweeted, pumpkin carving and mold cider. I'm so into fall. And this year, more than any other year, I have really, truly embraced all of these, like, pokey activities. Have you? Okay, there's something I haven't talked to you about that just came to mind because I was walking down the street and saw it. There's a new cold brew at Starbucks that's a pumpkin spice cold brew. I don't know like if they I'll fuse pumpkin go spice into a- that far. The thing about pumpkin flavoring is like you never know really what you're gonna get. Yeah, like to me, it more often just tastes like hand soap that is trying to be <laughs> pumpkin flavored. I don't, am I have am I had, wrong here? Come have on. you had lots of hand soap? <laughs> no, but no. But I, I okay. So I tasted a few different pumpkin beers, and they were all awful and like tasted like yeah. Bath and Body Works made a pumpkin like someone's lotion, idea someone's of what idea is. of what okay. pumpkin is, but. Not a good time. I walked past, I was walking with a friend yesterday and walked past and saw this pumpkin spice cold brew thing and laughed. He goes, girl, don't laugh. I now drink pumpkin spice protein powder in the morning to go through my workouts. And I was like, you girls are reckless with your pumpkin spice obsession. And maybe that's why I don't want to carve pumpkins. I want nothing to do with this pumpkin obsession these days. I feel that you just need to know where to draw the line. You know, boundaries. The protein powder, Great. that sounds truly disgusting. I'm going to keep my pumpkin to pumpkin pie. That's also my fair. commitment for also this fair. season. But I support you. Well, anyway, thank you to our guests, Hayes Brown, Kaylee Johnson, Meredith Haggerty, Shakina Nafak, Sebadeb Moefi, and Arabelle Sicardi. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>